Hi everyone, I'm Ben Pilgreen and this is the Bring It Out podcast. My desire is to help bring out all that has been placed within you. And I believe today's conversation will guide you in the process. Well, hey everybody, welcome to the Bring It Out podcast. My name is Ben Pilgreen and here's what I believe about you. There have been some special things deposited in you, gifts, passions, desires. These are the things that make you, you. And whatever has been put into you, we want to help bring those things out of you. And I am so delighted today to have my good friend Joseph Barkley join us for this episode. Joseph is an executive coach, speaker, and so much more that we will get into today. Most of all, Joseph believes in the potential of people, and he gives his time and energy to helping all kinds of people become who they were meant to be and to do what they were created to do. Joseph, welcome to the Bring It Out podcast. Oh, I am so excited to be here. Thanks, Ben. Oh, man, I love you, and I love the way that you have been created. And uh, man, you mm. I think a lot of people would say this, but even when I'm around you, I feel like you bring out my best self. I mean, you have had such an interesting life. You've, we're going to hear a lot about it. You've been a songwriter and <laughs> musician. You have yeah. led a nonprofit. You're now an executive coach, and that's a pretty recent shift, and I can't wait to dive into that. But I think the first question is, is man, we think about all the different things you've done. Like, How did you know when you were to begin doing these things? And, and I think that's an answer I want, but also, like, how did you know when you were supposed to in those things that were meaningful yeah. and, and used to be the thing. And, 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 but now it's like time to move on. Like, give us some just general context. Yeah, I might, you know, unpack these if it serves you and your listeners well. But just to skip a stone across the changes I've created in my life, I uh, went to school for business, thought I was going to be a corporate attorney, but picked up a guitar in college, like most people do. <laughs> if you live in a dorm, who was the, the girl you were college. after with the guitar? I know, like, yeah. So her name was Ginger. And anyway, so <laughs> <laughs> just in case somebody knows somebody, I should, probably shouldn't get too much into that. Um, but the so uh, by the end of college, I had a record contract. So there's a pivot. We chase after that. I'm a professional musician for 12 years. I meet my wife in the middle of that. Uh, and then when we decide we want to have kids, I don't want to be on the road anymore. So I start writing songs for television. I get involved with a church in Hollywood, California. I'm from Southern California. Uh, while we're there, we meet people and we decide to help start a church, but I'm still doing music. Then while I'm there, somebody asks me to teach. A couple of years later, now I'm a lead pastor and I go and plant my own church in North Hollywood, which is a different community. I led that while doing some leadership development stuff on the side. And then uh, just over a year ago, I decided to step down and, and, and focus completely on executive coaching. So, you know, <laughs> that typical story. <laughs> yeah. Listen, man, you know what I say about my friends like you? Like, you're one of those people who have lots of talents, which means you have lots of options. For me, I, I just like have a couple gifts. So I, I try to stay in those lanes, but I mean, come on. Amazing. Well, one of the things I talk to my clients about is uh, a problem called talent distraction, because every person you wow. meet is probably good enough at a lot of things, like employable at a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of people, frankly, they, they build decent lives and live out their existence doing things that they, they can get paid for. Um, and people get value out of, but maybe don't slow down long enough to consider, is this my best contribution to the world? Mm. 
And uh, that doesn't mean that that's a worthless life. A lot of amazing things can happen as a result of being faithful and being good at something. But, and this maybe goes back to the question of, of how do you know it's time, or how did I know at least it was time to end and start something new, is a constant curiosity around, is this really my best contribution? I've got one life to give. And people may applaud you for something. You might be employed for something. Uh, your parents always wanted you to be something, but it's okay to, to question from time to time if this really is the best leverage of your life. Um, and as you do that, is that about the sheer number of people that you're having impact on? Like mm -hmm. what's the, how do you get to the quotient of, um, this is my best contribution? Well, I, I, for me, at least it's a, it's a, uh, like a routine, uh, meditation. I think about mm -hmm. it a lot and I think about things like, and I talk to my clients about what gets your heart beating faster. Yeah. Um, related to that might be what breaks your heart. Uh, a, a question I love to ask and give people freedom to answer is what are you constantly complaining about? Uh, in my work, I love complaints because those are visions in disguise. Uh, mm. Man, I'm always, this really bugs me, or I wish somebody yeah. would fix blank, or I've always wanted to, but I don't know if I'm the guy. And So what are you constantly complaining about? That might help narrow it down. Um, and then I think about what have people sought you out for? So maybe it's not a number, but there's moments in your life that are memorable. Mm. And if you pause to give that moment a little bit of dignity and curiosity, you might say, huh, you know what? There has been a bit of a pattern of people seeking me out for this and it wasn't my job, and, but mm. it was something that somebody saw in me. And then the last beat that, well, and then I, I suppose I would just bring it back to the first one is, is there some, do you derive some sense of thrill or joy in, in when you function in that way? Yeah. Now, it's not like a, that's not a science. It is an art, right. which is why it's a constant meditation for me. I think, frankly, I think those things can change over time. Hmm. You might have new experiences and opportunities, relationships that give you more of a refinement of what you are meant to do. Uh, I, I, even that feels a little loaded to me to say you're meant to do this one sure. thing. But to, um, yeah, to remain... Uh, to remain at least open to the possibility that uh, you are, there's something else or maybe mm -hmm. even a different way of doing the same thing. I'm not suggesting you always, it's about quitting your job. I think it's, yeah. you might stay decades in the same line of work and that's beautiful, but there might be a mm -hmm. different way you show up for that work mm -hmm. as you begin to get to know yourself better. It's really good. Um, I, I can only imagine there's a lot of people um, that, that have gone through a similar exercise and, and, and probably listening today. And they're like, you know, I would love to do this other thing. Um, but then mm -hmm. all the logical stuff comes in, but what about income? What if it doesn't work? So there's a fear issue, you know, maybe a lack of confidence that like, can I do this as much as I would love the, I love the idea, you know, ideas are one thing executing on mm -hmm. an idea is it, it takes a little more skin <laughs> in the game. Any thoughts around yeah. that, either with your story, the clients that you've served, um, just knowing that your story is even somewhat fresh, like how you got the strength or the confidence to step out and go for it? Yeah, well, 
I'll say first that I did not have anything like certainty or confidence before I created any of the changes in my life. And so I've stopped looking for those. Interesting. Uh, I have found that the confidence that I thought I needed to make a big change, I didn't get till after I exercised the courage to make the change. Hmm. So confidence is a lag indicator of courage. You mustered up the courage to make a decision. Hmm. You found you found out after the decision that, hey, you're still alive. Yes. Uh, there's something to learn there. Uh, you may, we may find that after the decision, you, hmm, I, I actually want to retrace my steps. I don't like where this landed me. That's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, to give yourself grace in that. But, but that's where some of the confidence comes in. That, you, that will serve you for the next decision that you need to make or the next boundary that you need to draw with certain relationships in your life or the next risk that you want to explore. Um, so what I did for me, for as I look back, I think that's where I, f- I, I find some sense of certainty and confidence in hindsight. I look back and say, oh, that's actually what led to those decisions. Yes. And it was, like I said, taking inventory of passions and gifts and where people sought me out. But then I also, around all the, especially the major decisions of life, or what feel like major decisions, I sought a ton of counsel from people who were further down the road than me um, before making that decision. So that's part of what would give me at least everything I knew to work with to make Mm -hmm. the decision to create a change. Um, but the number of changes I've made in my life, I don't prescribe that for everybody. It's just, that's Mm. so far the story I've told with my life. I think all of that can be threaded back to an urgency with which I want to live. Yes. Like I said before, I've got one life to give. Um, and so I always want to examine what is my maximum contribution to this, this world around me. And if I suspect it might be a different way of doing the same work, or a different work altogether, I at least want to have the, um, again, the curiosity to, to be open to that idea. Yeah. And, um, and do you visit that question like monthly, seasonally when you have uh, walk somewhere? Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, no, I, I revisit it quarterly. Okay. Um, and it's usually in conjunction with, and I didn't make this up, but I, every quarter I create a stop doing list. Uh, so I, wow. I look at my routines and I say, what are things where I'm devoting? It's actually easy for most of us to decide between good and bad uses of our time. Yes. It's a little bit harder to decide between great and good uses mm. of our time. Mm-hmm. But as I do that, I first want to get grounded in, okay, what do I think is my maximum contribution for the next 90 days uh, in my work, in my family, in my local church? Okay then are there things that are creating some sideways energy for me or distraction or they Mm. dilute that? And could I delegate those things? Could I just hit pause on those things? Mm. Um, And, you know, wouldn't you know it, like, you know, I'm I'm 46 now and I'm still coming up with so many things that land in the stop doing pile. Um, Could you give us an example of one? I I feel like I need to make that list before... um... (laughs) No, man, Sean, my wife, Sean, and I, you know, like, we're just in a whole new 
world right now and we're this is real time as we're recording like just a little yeah. bit overwhelmed so like what what's like one thing that especially <laughs> something that you thought for whatever reason i hadn't so far given myself permission to quit that and it's like yeah why well this isn't a full quit but it's public speaking so i am a, a good communicator um, yes, I think are. I can have, I can, um, you know, I can say that with, uh, honesty and, no and I'm, I can be employed doing that. When I stepped down from being a pastor, I thought, well, one way of paying the bills and serving people is to get out and speak at, in conferences and churches and do keynote speeches. I enjoy it. Uh, but when I really looked at maximum contribution, my favorite thing on the planet to do is to get into conversations like this wow. and peek under the hood and help awaken the potential of liberate the potential of people. I mean, I love the the mission of this podcast. Like mm-hmm. there is something in you when we talk about vision and dream. Yeah. I actually think you already know your vision and your dream, but there's some things that might be obscuring it. Yeah. Uh, it might feel a little invisible to you. And my favorite contribution is to sit down with people and and open that up. So I found that public speaking, uh, what possibly, you know, introduces me to people, at least in a public forum. Yes. Yep. But it but my the age that my kids are, they're teenagers right now. Uh my wife and I got very clear. So this last year I spoke um uh, I want to say 15 times. I turned down a lot uh, of speaking opportunities. And this next year, I'm only actually speaking five times. And it honestly feels uh, not scary, but it's like I'm letting go of something I do enjoy. Yeah. There's a discipline in that. But I found it's actually not, it's good, but it's not great. But it's, it's, you're giving up something you enjoy for something that you enjoy more. That's a great way to put it. Yeah. Um. So it's not like I'm trading joy for pain. I'm I'm trading. Um, uh, I don't know what it would be. Maybe it's like enjoyment mm. for passion. Like yeah. I, I. And by the way, I leave myself open to revisiting that as a part of my life in the future. Yep. But right now, it's on the stop, or at least stop doing as much. As list. much, yeah. That's yeah. Super helpful. Well, hey, I know you have some thoughts about like. You think we kind of all know our vision, but st- stuff happens. There, there mm-hmm. seems like for so many of these, what what appear to they're not, but they appear to be insurmountable obstacles between where people yeah. are today and, and and where they at least at least used to want to get to, and maybe deep down still want to get to. Talk talk to me about that. Like what your assumptions are that you kind of start with, and and how to mm-hmm. yeah, just real time help. How do we, how do we get beyond those things that are that are in the way? Well, yeah, and I love this question. Um, I I always start with, well, first, I, I want to reinforce something I already said. I think that everybody has a vision. Mm. Um, and right now you're living with one. And the vision that you're using might look something like a fear or it might look something like a hope. Uh, but, but... Either way, if you have fears of I'm afraid I'll never get to or I'm afraid I'm not the person who will or I'm afraid if I risk this, I'll lose it all. Like if that's your vision for the future, Hmm. that's just as make-believe as the vision that it says, um, hey, I might experience this breakthrough or hey, we might actually uh, 
we might be able to thrive in this city or, hey, I might be able to take on that responsibility or I might be able to ask her out on a date. Yeah. <laughs> she might yep. say yes. That's just as make-believe. Mm. And so I invite people all the time to say, well, which vision serves you? Which vision gives you the mm. most resource Love that. for the way you want to live? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where it starts. And then let's, because your vision is your boss. I mean, you change the way you think about the future, you will change the way you live towards it. So you might as well choose a boss that loves you and mm. choose a boss who believes in you wow. and choose a boss who wants the best for you. So good. So that's the role of vision in my life. Um, so I, I would prefer to create a vision for my life that's full of excitement and hope mm. and adventure and joy and impact and generosity but as we stand here today, that's just as make-believe as the vision that says you'll never amount to much or you, you can't quit your job or you can't make an impact. So then what I like mm. to do from there is uh, we want to get really, really clear on a vision that does give you hope and gives you resource. Um, so we get as clear as possible. How will you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you've arrived at that vision? Uh, can you see it if you sort of fabricate a picture in your mind of what life will look like a year from now or five years from now if you really mm. went for it. But then, and this is the grace of it all, I tell people, just hold it loosely. Hold your vision, vision loosely because so much vision clarity happens as you're moving towards what you thought you were supposed mm. to run towards in the first place. So mm. I think a vision is just a great way of saying, are we heading east or west? Oh, okay, well, where we want to try and go is east. Great. As we're going east, lo and behold, you're going to find you're actually moving a little bit southeast. Hmm. Or this key relationship or discovery leads yep. you to, wait a minute, now we're going to pivot and go a little bit northeast. But it just gets you started. Um, I think all of us, I'm sure your listeners could look back at visions they had for their lives that gave them excitement. Yeah. And they're so glad that those things didn't happen. Like when I was a kid, I wanted to be a professional ninja. <laughs> Listen, man, you, I, if you told me that's what you're going for next, I believe it's probably possible for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I, th- but, I think that idea, like about going, you know, you talked about going east. One of the kind of principles I have in the Bring It Out course is that direction is greater than destination. Yes. And it's, destination matters. But to your point, I think we get so fixated on the destination. And if, if I'm going the right direction on a road trip or, or towards a vision for my life, I will eventually hit all of the destinations that I need to along that way. Yeah. But, but we kind of strangle. I've got to get to this place by such and such a date or I'm a failure or it didn't work. Um, it, it seems very free And sometimes to the me. scariest part is just mustering up the courage to get moving in the first place. Just to do something. Yeah, and, and I agree with you, mm. Ben, that the, the direction is way more important and, and to... What incredible freedom we have to start moving if we don't feel like we have to know for certain with a neon sign exactly where life is mm. supposed to end up. Yeah. Then it's okay to move. Yeah. It's okay to get started and to not know, not know completely. Mm. Um, but an object in motion is going to be a whole lot easier to pivot and turn and play with than an object in stasis. So good. I love that. Well, yeah. you, you live in L.A., and um, yeah. like you're surrounded by this super strong performance culture. 
I do not live okay. in L.A. Uh, I live in the, some might say, the antithesis of L.A. up here in San Francisco. Um, <laughs> but I still am a three on the Enneagram, which makes me the performer, the achiever. I know that's a surprise <laughs> to you. <laughs> um, but, man, you, no, like you, I mean, you. Game live, respects game as an Enneagram uh, three. Amen. I see it. Yes. <laughs> but, like, you are not only in that culture, but you have spent a lot of time um, on stages, a lot of time in the spotlight. Yeah. You have two daughters who are very much into the technical performing thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, for those of us who feel like we're always performing for affection, for approval, mm-hmm. to get the grade, to know that we're enough, like I, I'm, sh- I, I'm sure you have some things to help us out of that trap. But like, what do, what do we do with that? <sighs> this one matters to me a lot. I suppose yeah. everything we're talking about matters. But I, I'm a recovering high achiever. Mm-hmm. And it got so vicious in my life that it landed me in the hospital a few years ago. Wow. Uh, I was facing something like adrenal failure. I was on a date night with my wife. We were just sitting watching a movie. And I passed out in the movie theater. They had to take me to the ER. It looked like I was having a seizure. And they ran oh. all the scans. And then the... the uh, you know, the attending physician came in and said, yeah, you've got some potassium deficiencies in your life. So there's some diet adjustments, but you're just, you're, you've burned the candle at both ends and in the middle, you are redlining somehow in your life. And of course I was, he, I, uh, you know, pulling a hundred hours a week. And I would say this too, because at the time I was leading in the local church and Hmm. it felt to me like a moral obligation to overwork uh, how could I stop when there are more people to reach and more people yeah. to serve and more yeah. problems to solve? Um, <laughs> but then it's easy for me to say now, like, what good am I if I am completely si- if I'm strapped to a gurney? Like, I can't yeah. reach anybody and serve anybody. And so, to all of my fellow high achievers out there who are getting some of our weird core needs met by accomplishing things and getting trophies and mm. getting the next, getting the C-suite. Yeah. Um, I see you. I understand you. I love mm. you. Uh, I have a lot of grace for you. Um, I, I needed somebody like me to help break me out of it. Mm. So I got wise counsel and therapy and an executive coach um, and another pastor who helped advise me in my life. But the first thing I would say real quick, if I can be as helpful as, as I know how to be in a short amount of time, is I, I generally will talk to my high achieving friends and clients and say, let's get really clear on what you're getting out of or what you think you're getting out of achieving. Yeah. And you mentioned a few of them, Ben, before, but is it approval? Is it some sense of affection or value that you get out of this? Um, because once you get really clear on the need that you're trying to meet, then you can actually discover ways to meet that core need in a way that's healthier mm. and productive. So I get, I sort of be, a, I'm agnostic with high achievers. Like I don't want to assume the need that you're fulfilling by, mm. uh, by working 200 hours a week. Mm. But we do the hard work of getting under the hood and saying, okay, what, what is it that you think this is going to give you that it never will? Um, then if we can extract that, that need that is just being uh, misaligned, you know, let's, let's find out where we can meet that need somewhere else. Uh, 
in a healthy way, then it frees us up to to produce and to accomplish and to create and innovate in life, which we're built to do. So it's not like the achievement is positive or negative. There's a part of you that longs to create the future. I think you're created in the image of a creator. So it's very natural to want to make something. Your life, you want your life to move the atmosphere because you were alive. Something has to change because you're here. So then we move into the mindset of what we call in our work meta performance. And this is where I think the performing mindset can be really healthy. Uh, First of all, I don't don't know that any of your listeners would fall into this category, but there are some who we would call maybe low performers. And a low performer is operating with the question, what's the least I can do and get away with it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) How do I stay invisible? And then, then beyond that is a performer, and I love performers. We want them all over our lives. And the performer's asking, like, how good is good enough? Um, I want to do a good job. I want to solve the problem. I want to, uh, you know, I want, <laughs> I want my accountant, I want my accountant to be a performer. Like, I want to, him to do yes. a good job on my taxes. The high performer, like you and I tend to be, um, is asking, how do I win or how can I be the best? Mm-hmm. Um, but meta performance, and I mean this in the sense of metamorphosis, not meta like abstract, but like transform transformation, a meta performer is always asking the question, what are we capable of? Mm. And there's a few things powerful about that. Um, first is the we, so all the other ones are asking like, how am I doing in this transaction or with this achievement? The we brings in a. It, it brings in an acknowledgement of the culture around you, whether it's your family or your team or your church or your neighborhood, like your friendships, like what are we capable of together? It reduces the, that instinct we all have to try and be omni-gifted. Like I don't have to do it all because I'm a part of a, yeah. a collective of gifts and talents yep. and stories. I love the curiosity that it brings I love how boundless it is because if I'm just trying to be the best, that actually, we could imagine a day in which you are the best and then you've arrived, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then the thing you thought that was going to give you, approval or affection, like I suppose that's all the approval you're going to get because you're the best. Yeah. But when you are always asking, like, what are we capable of? That's a summitless peak. Mm-hmm. And so... I have found that we know that we're in a healthy place of accomplishment and achievement and productivity when we experience, and your listeners can kind of self-diagnose this, if you feel like you're getting a lot more done for your time than you used to uh, because you're, you're finding yourself in that, that zone of genius, we could call it that, yeah. um, it takes a little bit less time to get more done, but you're also experiencing increased joy and satisfaction mm. and freedom yeah. and life. And you're laughing more often, you're sleeping better. And I actually think that's a pretty good zone in which to have transformation mm. because transformation generally happens in the space that we create in life. When you can examine your life and you can ask these questions and you can develop deep intimacy with people. That's where transformation happens. So I hope that helps for all of my fellow high achievers out there. Those are some things I think about. Yeah. Um, and as far as like the difference between having dreams and stepping into the reality, I know it goes kind of with the performer thing too, being freed up to 
to actually achieve more when you're not feeling this pressure to, I got to get this perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else that just like, yeah, what, what happens between the, the, the sort of exciting moment of a dream and then what that thing tends to become for us, which is much less than what we dreamed of? <laughs> yeah, I, I love dreams. They're a great place to start, but most of them end up as regrets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Or resentment, that's another place dreams go, is I have this dream, and then, oh, I saw Ben achieved my dream. Mm. I hate Ben. Yes. (laughs) Well, that won't happen for you. But yeah, that comparison trap certainly robs (laughs) us of what could be. But yeah, I I think, you know, when I think about dreams becoming realities, I think about first get help. Hmm. Like, get a team, get a coach, join a church, find a friend. Yeah. Uh, It doesn't have to be all your friends, but you, you should have some friends in your life who are pulling you forward or they're running alongside you. They're like pacekeepers for you. Um, that's crucial. Um, as I said before, getting specific. So the dream moving from vague and, and emotional Mm -hmm. to something measurable really serves you well. Another thing that I, I confront a lot with clients is let's realize that our brains are conspiring against you. Okay. Let's tell us more about that. Yeah. So your brain wants more than anything to stay the same and be right. Okay. Like it's addicted to it. Wow. Um, And so when you think about your preferred future, you think about your dream, Hmm. your brain, at least initially, it, it interprets that as risk and potential for making mistakes. Yes. So its first impulse is to protect you. Hmm. Um, it's kind of like the parent who doesn't want to let their kids grow up and move out. Yes. That's what your brain is initially going to do. So that's why all of us, uh, when we initially have a dream, we can come up with 900 reasons why it's not going to work out. Yeah. Your brain's doing its job. Um, so where we can begin to enlist our brain's help to work with our brain um, actually, Seth Godin on his podcast, Akimbo, if I'm allowed to talk about other podcasts, absolutely, <laughs> has a great episode called The Placebo Effect. I recommend okay. your, your listeners go check it right. out. I'm, and I'm he talks about the power of generative language. So um, another place to go for this, another resource is The Three Laws of Performance. It's a great book. Okay. Uh, the second law is talking about how the way you see the world is showing up and how you talk about your world. It shows up mm. in your language. So there's another place you can go is once you get specific, once you realize that your brain's conspiring against you, so don't pay attention to those initial impulses that your brain's got. Here's how to train your brain and then ultimately your behavior to begin moving towards uh, making your dream a reality. Okay. Is notice how, notice when you talk about your dream, when you start articulating it, does it sound more like you're talking about someone else mm. or you're talking about yourself? Like, I am up to this. Yeah. I am a leader who will. I am a, you name it. Um, <laughs> I joke all the time about, you know that you're living in Los Angeles when everybody you talk to has a career and a job. I'm an actress, <laughs> but I'm also a barista. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So that's, it's probably common in San Francisco too. Like, yeah. well, this is what I want to do, but this Here's is what's what paying the bills. Mm-hmm. And the more that you move into saying, I am this, even if right now there's some, you know, my current reality is, is different than where I'm ending up. 
Yeah. There is a certain finality to that language that serves mm. you. And your brain starts to look for for resources that are already within reach. People wow. that you could be talking to and and things you could, should be reading and uh, people you could model because you know what you're gunning for. And your language begins to change the way that you think. Um, one of the things I often say as a coach is my job is to treat you like the person you're becoming so much that the mm. old you dies of neglect. I love that. And there's a, I, I think, you know, if, if I, I can get biblical for just a second, there's this concept of because of what Christ has done, God has decided to declare you perfect. Hmm. So when he looks at you, yeah. if you've decided to trust Jesus with your life, he says, I, I see the perfection. I see the perfect fit of, of my son, hmm. even though you and I know we're not perfect yet. Yeah. But God is giving us, he's treating us as though that's who we are until the old us dies of neglect. Yep. And I think the same is true for our dreams. If we can begin to say, I am this, I'm becoming this, I'm mm. moving towards this, um, we start to develop reflexes that move the dream into reality. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you talk, uh, I've heard you talk about this idea that you, you think that we're all capable of more than what we're experiencing today. And, mm-hmm. um, but again, the, the obstacle often is us somehow getting in our own way. So like, yeah, how do we tend to do that? And of course, if we can get in our way, how do we get ourselves out of our own way? <laughs> uh well, I'll fix it all in like two, th- in three minutes. Here we go. This is how Here we go. go. Give me uh, a There's a lot of ways. Yeah. So when I think about how people get in their own way and I get in my own way, um, for all the humans I'm talking to, and I assume that's most of your listeners we are humans. We hope so. We'll, t- we'll, take a, um, we'll, t- we'll take subscribers from anywhere, man. <laughs> that's true, right? Uh, I, I always start with um, our real survival needs, and it's not like food, water, air. I'm talking about... Um, there's four survival needs uh, that we operate with and it's <laughs> being right, being comfortable, being in control and looking good. Mm. Uh, and you and I, if we're human, we develop certain addictive uh, attachments to those things. I want to be right. Yes. I want to be comfortable. I want to be in control and I want to look good. Yes. Uh, and then what we do and we're really good at this is we come up with all kinds of socially acceptable behaviors to mask a, a real desire to mm. look good or yeah. to be right. Um, quick example from my life as I examined this last year, like my busyness was oddly a way for me to keep in control. Hmm. Because when I was really busy, then no one would ask me to do something else. My wife couldn't ask me to help out in a different way around the house because wow. I was so busy. Yeah. And who would blame me for saying no, right? So that's my justifiable, yeah. like socially acceptable cover wow. for my illicit behavior of mm-hmm. wanting to stay in control. Yeah. So that's usually one of the, or, or four of the ways we get in our own way is this addiction to being right, being comfortable, being in control, looking good. Um, a few other places we go just off the top of my head is um, we generally, when we think about where we want to go or what we want to have, we start with what we want to do. Um, and that's not as resourceful as starting with who we think we are. Yes. Uh, when we start with what we want to do so that we can have the things we want, so we can finally be the person we want to be, 
um, that's what develops uh, weird competitive, like a toxic competitiveness because that other person's doing what I'm doing, but they have something I don't have. Yeah. It's not as creative. When you start with who you think you are, uh, like I said mm. before, the generative language, I am a leader who loves people ferociously. Okay, well, what kinds of things would that leader do? And then you find yourself having some of the things that you envision having. And then the last one, and frankly, the last one comes to mind, and this one's huge, mm. is we get in our own way when we refuse to be coachable. Yeah. And, uh, and I'll drill into that for just a second, which is to say... Most people believe that they're coachable because they are listening to input that they wanted to hear. Hmm. So they're listening to the podcast and reading the books and it's reinforcing sure. or maybe even expanding the knowledge base of what they already wanted to hear. Um, and they geek out on the five steps to do this and the three ways yeah. to do this. But real coachability, and it's rare, um, but real coachability is found in the hunger for disruptive input. Are you seeking it out? And only you would really know. Like, are you longing for it? Are you looking for someone to disagree with you mm. and to shine a light? One, a daily prayer of mine as I ask God to do this in me is search me, God, know my heart, test yeah. me, know my anxious thoughts. And I if I'm really wanting to be coachable and moldable and changeable, mm. I will have a posture towards life of, um, I, I cannot find myself by myself. So help. Yeah. I can't see myself by myself. Mm. Help me see what I'm not seeing. And hold, I mean, if that one thing alone, if people would mm. choose to be coachable in their lives, it'd be a huge game changer for them. Yeah, just, yeah, that disruptive input. That's uh, yeah. I'm uh, I'm also to ask, <laughs> but I want to ask, like, hey man, what would you know me? What would disruptive input look like in in my own life? Um, yeah. Well, disruptive input. Yeah, I mean, are you asking? I'll tell you. I think I am asking <laughs> on your podcast, generally or specifically. Well, I'll I'll, I'll keep it general so that we everybody know each other benefits well, so I'm, from I'm it. Open. And I'll get specific outside the call if you want. Yes. And I ask for the same. Um, I love, not all feedback is created equal. Yes. Um, so feedback starts with what's your vision? Because mm. I want to know what Ben's up to in the world. Yeah. And then I can give you feedback as it relates to that. So then you were able to be a bit more precise um, and my feedback needs to be subjective. It's just like, listen, this could be my own thing. I could be, it could be the burrito I ate last night. It could yes. be, you know, my daddy issues. I don't know, but this is something I'm observing or I experience you like this, or mm. I wonder if people might perceive this. Mm. Um, and my, I make a choice and I'm a people pleaser. So it's, it is challenging for me. I make a choice to give them the last 10% when people ask me for feedback. I want to give them the respect of, as best I know how, giving them, uh, not tearing them down, but saying this is something that might, frankly, it's uncomfortable for me to say. Yeah. It may feel uncomfortable to receive, but I don't know who else is telling you this in your life. It's good. 
and to me, if they're open to it, receptive, that's an incredible gift. Um, I'd like to be somebody who is even more open to feedback and, and I, I try to ask for it. I'm not always receptive to it, but that's been, uh, it's incredibly productive if we can Mm. normalize, uh, disruptive input. Mm. Like it's a, it's a part of growth. It's because I love you. What is, what is severe act of love to say, I'm going to, because of what you're up to, here's something you might want to think about to clear the way a little bit more. Um, That's that's really helpful. Yeah. What about, I mean, for the person who um, has been thinking about, you know, one of the concepts I talk about is like, you, you can't embrace the new that's waiting for you unless you're willing to leave the familiar, but also realize yeah. leaving the familiar is really hard. Um, anything for the person who they know it's time, but they just haven't taken that step yet? Like how, like uh, what, yeah. what can they do, man? Just, I, I know that you have some thoughts around how do you, how, how do you leave when, when it's become pretty apparent it's, it's time to leave, even if you don't have all of the questions answered about all that's ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I would say read Necessary Endings by Dr. Henry Cloud. Yes. Um, I've read it four times and I'll read it again. I recommend it to people all the time. Um, I will say similar to what I, I say about changes in life, what I said earlier in our conversation was I don't think you can know for certain. So give yourself permission not to know 100%. Yep. Um, but I would also say that you can't know for certain that you're supposed to stay. So neither mm. of those things are going to feel like certainty. It's a great word. Um, so then what I'd be thinking about is, like always, recognize your bias. One of those two options feels more comfortable for you. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it right now it's feeling for you, and, and your listeners, they can self-diagnose this too. Like, does it feel to you more comfortable to stay put? Or does it feel more comfortable to leave because it's kind of painful right now or it's difficult? Yeah. I'm not saying it's right or wrong to do either. It's just recognize your bias there. Um, Then, like I said before, immediately seek input from people. And this is very specific here. Mm. Seek seek input from people who love you and want the best for you, who have proven wisdom, and that's Mm. not everybody in your life. Uh, So their Mm. lives show a pattern of of wise decision-making. And then this last one's very helpful is try and find somebody who satisfies the first two things, but also does not have personal stakes in your decision. Really good. Uh, and that might only be one person right now, yeah. but their input, uh, I would give it quite a bit more weight than some other input in your life. <clears throat> and then the last yeah. thing that I'll say on how to leave is if it seems clear that it is time to leave, leave as cleanly and as quickly as possible. There are very few good reasons to stay longer. Yeah. Um, it's usually driven from a martyr complex or, or that need to look good. I want to look good. So I want to be somebody who hangs around, you know, a mm. little bit longer, but staying longer is almost always a recipe for complexity. Um, people start negotiating with you to stay the same, um, the story starts to metastasize in really weird Mm. ways and get gossipy and funky. Mm. Um, I find you can't really help but put in less effort. Uh, And at the same time, people are also relying on you less because everybody knows that you're leaving. 
Yeah. Um, it's almost never good to extend an exit. Almost never. Totally, totally agree. Well, man, I could talk with you for a long time, and I'm glad that I get to do that even outside of this podcast. Um, but is there anything else you it. would just love to leave with our listeners today before we sign off? Uh, the only thing on my mind is listener, dear loved listener with one life to give, you are capable of vastly more than you are experiencing. And, and I say this in love, you are getting in your own way in a way that you cannot fully know by yourself, but help is available, uh, to experience the life that you're really meant to live. It's so good, man. And even in this general podcast, it's just really clear to me that you have a gift to mine this out of out of us. And um, and I'm looking forward to uh, to the help. But for for the rest of our crew, like how can they follow you? Get in touch with you? Even reach out um, if you do have any coaching slots open. Um, how, how can we get connected to you? Yeah, the best way to find me is my website, josephkingbarkley.com, and that links to always sorts of ways to contact me. Um, I've got some social media presence there. I do some writing on there. So free resources to help people think through some of these things. Josephkingbarkley.com. You are the man. Well, Joseph, I love this conversation. And for all of our listeners, I hope, um, I can imagine you got a lot of things out of today's uh, conversation with Joseph, what he has led you to think of. I mean, I think this is one of those you should share with other people. Uh, It is going to help you not only bring out what's been put in you, that's what we're always about, but I think, Joseph, you really helped us um, like, let, let's get a straighter line. Let's go ahead and, and deal with it and not just keep putting it off. I think so often we live with the one day mentality. I'll do this one day. I'll chase the dream one day. I got to have enough money first. I've got to have enough da da da. And you're like, no, it's time to get enough courage. Let's go after it. And I really love the part, you guys, about, hey, you know, make believing something negative is, uh, you, can, it, you can do that just as easily with stuff that's positive. So, um, yeah, here at Bring It Out, we're just trying to help you, uh, yeah, get the stuff that's in you. It's there for a reason. It's not been put in anyone else exactly the way it's been put into you. And the world is waiting for you to bring it out. So uh, go do that. And we look forward to the next conversation on this podcast. Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Bring It Out podcast. If you want to go deeper, I've created the Bring It Out course, and it's absolutely free. This 11-session course includes teaching for me, as well as a PDF guide to help you process all you learn along the way. You can download the course at benpilgreen.com course. Thanks for listening today. May you bring out everything that's been put inside of you.